Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. So we've been going through the Gospel of John together, and one of the one of the characteristics of this particular gospel that has been pointed out is, is just the way that John writes a little differently than the authors of the other gospels. Uh, one in that he will, uh, he'll kind of hit highlights of Jesus's story, but when he, when he lands on a certain highlight, he really goes in depth into that story. And so um, one of the things that we've talked about is that's a style that's reminding us to, to slow down and to really pay attention. And, uh, and today's story is no exception to that. If, if nothing else, it's maybe even more so. The story today is John chapter 3. It's the story of Jesus having a late night conversation with one of the Jewish leaders named Nicodemus. And uh, this is a story where we want to uh, slow down and pay attention. We've got a lot of scripture to read. Um, in the interest of slowing down and paying attention, I'm thinking to myself like, I try to be mindful of your time, and, and, I'll, and I feel like there's a lot of scripture to get through, and there's a lot of things, and so I'm even telling myself, slow down, it's all right, we'll just slow down, and, and you know, I mean, game two isn't on until 5 p.m. tonight, so I know the, none of you have anything going on until then, so, um, so Lord, we just invite you to this place, uh, slow down our minds, slow down our thoughts, Eliminate distractions. Uh, help us to, to hear you. Um, help us to hear the things we need to hear today. Uh, we know you have a plan for this time, and we just pray that your plan would be done. Your kingdom would come. Your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so the story of, of Nicodemus is here in John chapter 3. We can start reading in verse 1. I forgot. Does somebody have my... Oh, yeah. I love it when you guys have that for me. Um, Verse 1, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, which is the Hebrew word for teacher, teacher, we know that you are a teacher. That seems redundant. Who has come from God? Says no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God was not with him. So right away we have this person who's from the Jewish ruling class. He's one of the Pharisees. He's a member of this high council. It was called the Sanhedrin. And uh, they had no separation of church and state in the, in the Jewish nation. And so these were, these were the highest ranking members of society in almost any kind of uh, metric you could use. These are the religious leaders. These are the, the governing body in a sense. I mean, they're under Roman oppression, so they don't, they don't get to do a whole lot of self-governance. But um, these are the top people, and this person, Nicodemus, is a member of them, and he, he comes to talk to Jesus. Uh, oftentimes, it's pointed out he comes at night. Why does he come at night? He's hiding. Very good. He doesn't want to be seen. And, and, and as we point out, he came at night. We maybe emphasize his, his cowardice. I mean, he's, he's a big deal, and I'm sure the paparazzi are following Nicodemus around everywhere, trying to catch him in a compromising place and maybe talking to this firebrand, you know, revolutionary teacher. 
from Nowheresville would, would maybe be an undesirable place to have your picture taken. And so he's being careful about talking to Jesus. I was thinking about that. You know, here he is at night being careful, which tells me he's taking a risk. Which the fact that he's taking a risk tells me that he has some interest here. There's something that he sees in Jesus that he's intrigued by. There's something that he, he, I mean, why show up at all? Why put yourself in a compromising position if you have no reason to be there? And so at the same time, we might see some cowardice in Nicodemus. I think we can also see some authentic desire to be a part of what, whatever it is that this Jesus is all about. According to Nicodemus's remarks, the ruling council believes that Jesus is from God. And if you're familiar with the story of Jesus and you know that eventually it's the ruling council that condemns him to die on the cross, this can be a perplexing statement right here. I mean, think about what John's saying right now. These people, at least early in Jesus' ministry, and maybe because he wasn't that famous yet or maybe because he hadn't spoken too harshly against them yet, somewhere early on, they're meeting and they're talking about Jesus and they're saying to one another, you know what, this guy has to be from God. There has to be something here. So Nicodemus comes and at least says that, and maybe it's just flattery, but I really think that this is significant. This is the impact of Jesus's ministry, that early on, even the religious leaders are going, I don't know how someone could be doing this if he wasn't sent from God somehow. So Nicodemus opens saying, we know you're from God. Jesus replies to him in verse 3. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Saying to Nicodemus, you, you think I'm from God? You believe I'm from God? I'm telling you, no one can really see. No one can, can really see the kingdom, can really understand all this unless they're born again. Nicodemus says in verse 4, how can someone be born when they're old? He asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. <laughs> so, Nicodemus does his opening remark, Jesus says a few things, a little revelation, and Nicodemus is confused. And this is a familiar story with the people of God in Scripture. This may be a familiar story for you in your own life. God brings some revelation. Humanity's a little confused. Uh, humanity's asking God's questions, and God's just giving these super straightforward answers that explain it all. You're like, oh, no, that makes total sense. That's how it works, right? That's not how it works. <laughs> So Nicodemus is confused. I, I, how can someone be born again? I don't know what you're talking about. And so Jesus replies in verse 5, uh, and he, he just clears it all up. He clears it all up. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. I don't even need to explain that, right? Everyone knows what that means. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. To clear it up further, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I just read it. Do we need to talk about it at all? It's all right there. Plain as day. What is he talking about? All right. Nicodemus didn't know. I, I mean... I have, I, part of me wants to say, I have no idea. I have no idea what he's talking about. This is the whole point. Slow down. 
Pay attention. Meditate on the passages. Read it 20 times this week. See what God speaks to your heart through that. Uh, I mean, we're seeing uh, the Spirit, the wind, uh, any, anyone who is familiar with the story of Christianity. We know it, in one sense this language is pointing us to the day of Pentecost. Uh, incidentally, does anyone know what today is? It's Pentecost Sunday. Can you believe it? Pentecost Sunday, we're preaching about Nicodemus, and this was planned months ago, and I didn't realize it was Pentecost Sunday, because I know that some of you think I follow the Christian calendar really, really closely, but I'm, I'm just starting to. And then this week, someone said something about being Pentecost Sunday, and I was like, whoa, it's Pentecost Sunday. Can you believe it? Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the people of God are gathered in an upper room. They've been praying for around 40 days, and suddenly there's a sound like a rushing wind, and tongues of fire descend. I went uh, to look and see about, I was going to get uh, little red triangle flags that I thought we could hang all the way around for tongues of fire, right? Because um, this is what happens in some of the more traditional churches. They dress it up for Pentecost Sunday with red flags and banners and things to represent the fire. Um, I don't know why they don't bring in like attic fans and just like <laughs> blow those during the service. So when you come in, it's like a whirlwind of activity. I'm sure they have reasons for that. But um, the shipping was going to take too long, so I didn't get the flags. Um, and then I thought, well, we could dress it up, but maybe, maybe by a miracle of God's power, he would just light the place up if that's what he wants to do. Um, but in this moment in the church's history, God is clothing his people with power so that they can do the work that he's called to do. And, and, and the disciples that the Spirit fell on on Pentecost were transformed. They were changed. Uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Paul writes to the Corinthians that a new creation has come into being. And so we have these word pictures that are being used in Scripture to try to describe what it's like when God's Spirit dwells with humanity and trying to describe the transformation that happens when God is truly with his people. I imagine to some extent, not fully understanding Jesus' mind and, and how he experienced time when he was here on earth, but I would imagine he had Pentecost in mind. And he's talking about the blowing wind, and he's thinking about this thing that's going to happen. But how do you describe that to Nicodemus? It hasn't happened yet. How would he ever understand it? And Jesus is leaning to this idea of being born again, a new creation, a new life happening. Jesus is talking about this mystery of how God's Spirit transforms his people. And I think the word mystery is really, really important there. When we think of mystery in our Western culture, we think of uh, maybe a mystery novel. I mean, that's what I think of, you know, Encyclopedia Brown or um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. But at the end of a good mystery, everything's tied up, all the loose ends, right? I mean, if you read the book and you got to the end and you still didn't know who done it, you'd be really disappointed because in our literature, this is how we expect mysteries to go. But we have to remember, the, the Bible wasn't written as a style of our literature and our culture to our people. And when the, when the ancient Near Eastern mind thinks of mystery... To an extent, they're talking about things that you'll never fully understand. They're talking about a mystery that you get to the end of the book, and all you know is you still have a lot to learn. All you know is that I don't understand nearly as much as I thought I did when I started that book. 
the idea of mystery. And so Jesus is describing this mystery to Nicodemus. Jesus gets through all of that, and Nicodemus says, how can this be? He's still confused, understandably so. Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. And do you still not understand these things? In verse 10, uh, one of, someone that I was reading or listening to recently had brought up John 3 and Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. And they, they pointed out that Nicodemus comes to Jesus with these questions. And at the end of it, the story's not about the questions that Nicodemus asks and then the answers that Jesus gives to those. The, the story is about the questions that Jesus is asking Nicodemus. The power in the narrative is not that, you know, man comes with his questions to God and then God answers them one by one and man walks away happy, but that man comes to God with their questions and God shines the light back on humanity and says, let's have a look here. You came to learn more about me, I suppose, but I want you to understand and, and, and acknowledge more about yourselves. So Jesus says to him, wait. You're one of Israel's teacher. You've been educated by the best of the best. You're among the people who should be the most knowledgeable about this. How can it be that you don't understand this? And I think what he's doing is he's inviting Nicodemus into a moment of self-reflection. I thought I had it all figured out. Here I was, a teacher of teachers. And yet as I sit before this man who is somewhere in my mind, I know he's from God. I don't fully understand it. But he starts to ask me questions that lead me to do a little bit of soul-searching myself. Okay, I'm supposed to know all of this. How is it that I don't? We're supposed to be the experts in who God is. How is it that we're missing the point? And in that moment of self-reflection, there's an invitation to repentance, to acknowledging, wow, I guess I don't know as much as I thought I did. I guess I'm not who I thought I was. God, show yourself to me. Change me. Help me to understand. Allow me to lay down this former ignorant life and be born again into something new and beautiful where I understand more fully who God is and what it is that he's doing. I've seen this play out in my own experience. You know, I've, I've had things happen where I'm asking God questions. And it would seem that his answers back to me often feel a little bit like questions, and they inspire me towards self-reflection. Think of times in my life, Lord, how is it that, how come you don't just, you know, hit me with the Jesus stick, and then all sinful temptation is eliminated from my life? Why is it that you allow me to wallow in all this? And I feel like God's just saying to me, James, how much do you think you really understand about my love? And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I don't fully get it. Can you hit me with the Jesus stick anyways to make all my problems go away? That would be really great. God, how would you allow these things to happen? How can you be who you claim to be in Scripture and these evil things to be happening in the world all the time? And I hear him inviting, you, inviting me to say, James, you don't even know how things should happen. You don't even know that that, that you, do you understand how near I am to the world and how much I participate in the grieving and, the, and I feel the suffering? It's like, oh, I have no idea what that's like for you, Lord. I, I have trouble empathizing with, you know, 
people that are right here in front of me. I think that more important than the questions that we would ask God or the things that he would ask us back are those opportunities for self-discovery and self-reflection that God would be leading us into, which are really, to phrase it in religious language, at risk of maybe turning some of you off who have been beat over the head with the word, but it's really leading us into opportunities for repentance to say, wow, I don't have it all figured out. Lord, show me what's next. Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? I'm confused. I don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus is saying to him, how could it be that the best of the best, the wisest of the wise, still don't understand this? He's blowing up Nicodemus' paradigm, where Nicodemus is forced to say, you know how that is? Because we don't, I guess we don't know what we think we know. I guess we're not so sure about what we think we're sure about. And hopefully Nicodemus is open-minded enough to realize just how small-minded he's been. And hopefully Nicodemus is going to respond to this revelation with a change of mind and a change of heart. Hopefully he'll respond to this revelation from God with repentance. Jesus continues, he says to him in verse 11, Very truly, I'm telling you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then are you going to believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus confronting Nicodemus and the other religious leaders, I think, through this conversation, saying, look, here I have come bearing witness to the testimony of this is who God is. And you know that I am from God. You acknowledge all that, but you still are rejecting my testimony about who God is. And, and, I, and at this point, we're just talking basics. He says, Nicodemus, it's like you're in the shallow water and you think you're going to drown. You feel, you, know, you feel like you're floundering. He's saying, how can I ever take you to the deeper water? How can I ever, we're talking about earthly things right now. How would you ever grasp the heavenly things, the greater things, if you can't even understand these kinds of things? If you can't believe, to some degree, that God, the infinite creator of the universe, is somehow beyond your paradigm, and it's okay when God pushes on that a little bit, then how are you ever going to believe or grow into a more full understanding of who God is? If everything that you believe about who God to be and all of that is stuff that you figured out 10, 20, 30 years ago, how are you ever someone who is whose life is marked by repentance and change and growth. Jesus says in verse 13, No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. We might not see this as obvious in the text, but I think part of what Jesus is pointing out to this Jewish leader is he's pointing out their tradition that is built on these patriarchs, the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's built on the record of Moses and the law. It's built on the revelation of the prophets. But they have this entire belief system that's been built on all of these people. And I think in one sense, Jesus is claiming prominence over all of that. He's saying no one's ever seen God but the Son of Man or the Messiah, and we know he's referring to himself there, no one's ever seen God. The, the, these other people were grasping and, and glimpsing at God, and they came away with not even a handful. I mean, there's valid revelation there, but, but it's, it's 
it's not the full picture. It's not everything. The New Testament author said of Christ that in Christ, the fullness of the deity chose to dwell. And so the full picture becomes Jesus. The full revelation of God becomes Jesus. And in one sense, I think what Jesus is trying to do is get Nicodemus to let go of the shadows and, and the, you know, the veil, the fuzzy images, and to embrace the true picture that's standing here before him. And Nicodemus is wrestling that and this, with that. In the same way that you or I wrestle when we are maybe learning something new about God or he's challenging us in a certain way. We wrestle with that stuff. But Nicodemus' expectations have to change. His paradigm has to change or he's going to miss out on who Jesus is. What kind of expectations would a Jewish leader had of the Messiah in the first century? Based on their view of the scriptures and what the prophets had said and the probably imperfect glimpses that they all had, they had an expectation the Messiah would come and he would be a warrior king. Probably a teacher of teachers as well. He would know more than anybody else, and he would be a better fighter than anybody else, and he would lead the nation of Israel into victory over their oppressors and establish a kingdom, you know, a geographical, physical kingdom that would know no end. This was the expectation. We know the story of Jesus. We know this isn't what he came to do. And so Nicodemus's paradigm has to change, or he's going to miss out on who Jesus is. In an effort to change his paradigm, Jesus says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You all were expecting him to say that, right? You're like, yes, we know that story from Deuteronomy, I think, or Numbers. I have it written down here. Numbers, Numbers 21. Israel sins, they've sinned against God, they're rebelling against God, and suddenly... The camp is full of vipers. They're wandering the wilderness, and there's snakes everywhere. I mean, snakes on a plane. This is like snakes in a camp, and they're all poisonous. And, and the snakes start biting people, as snakes do. And people are getting sick from the snake bites, and people are perishing. And Moses goes to God, like, what are we going to do? And God tells Moses, I want you to make a, a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a staff and lift that staff up and anyone who looks at the staff will be healed and they won't die. And so uh, Moses does that and the snake doesn't die. And so Jesus is recalling Nicodemus's memory to that story and he's saying, just like Moses lifted up that bronze serpent on the staff, the son of man is going to be lifted up so that anyone who, who believes in him, anyone who who um, not so much sees with their eyes, but comprehends with their mind. Anyone who believes in him will be saved. It's interesting because the snake was the cause of death in the story out of Numbers. And it was one of the snakes who was lifted up on the staff and became the source of salvation, the source of life. And we know in the story of humanity and our problem that through one man, Adam's sin... Death came to all of us, so humanity was the problem, and the Son of Man, one man, is lifted up and becomes salvation for us all. This is where we're reminded that this story is the same from cover to cover. It's the same story being told 
over and over again. And, and this Jewish expectation that the Messiah would be someone who raises up and delivers everyone from their oppressors, Jesus is bringing that paradigm into alignment with the, the full story that, yes, that's who the Messiah is, but, but what this is really about is healing and deliverance from our sin. What this is really about is deliverance from sin and death. And that a man is going to come and offer up his life, be lifted up as a sacrifice. That was not the expectation. So here in this moment, John breaks away from the dialogue, Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus, and the story of Nicodemus is over. And we're in John chapter 3, we're on verse 16. Does anybody know what's coming up? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, just like the serpent was raised up, became salvation for the people of Israel, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up and become salvation for everyone. And John's like, that's the end of the story. That's the point right there. Jesus correcting the religious leader's expectations on what it was that he was here to do. And he was here to sacrifice himself and to offer up his life as a sacrifice for many. John uh, 3, verse 19, uh, the author's continuing, and I'm kind of skipping ahead just a little bit for time. Uh, feel free to do a deep dive into the chapter this week if you don't want to miss anything. Verse 19, though, he writes, This is the verdict, or this is the result, that light has come into the world, but the people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done that what sorry it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John totally switches gears. He goes into the John 3:16 proclamation of the gospel and then he goes into this thing talking about light and darkness. And if we've been reading through and we forgot about Nicodemus the minute that John shifted gears then we might not make any connections here. But I really think that we're supposed to be making connections. You know, the original Bible didn't have breaks, verses, and chapters, and things all broken up. It was just words on a page, and you're meant to read from beginning to end. And so when John wrote this gospel, he didn't mean for you to forget about Nicodemus the second that the next paragraph opens. And so there's something significant that, that here in this point, John moves to talking about light and darkness in the same scene where he's talked about Nicodemus coming under the cover of night. What is he saying about Nicodemus? He's pointing out that these religious leaders who think that they're near God, who think that they are you know, doing everything they're supposed to do, he's like, you wouldn't be sneaking around in the dark if you were truly after the light of God, right? Like this, these two things can't coexist and in the same person at the same time in this, you can't be pursuing the truth of God and sneaking around in the dark. Again, this is, uh, this is, and obviously he didn't say this to Nicodemus, but it's meant for us to be reflecting on this and going, oh yeah, that's right. He was going, he was sneaking around in the dark. And, and here we see it, like a word picture of this isn't what believers do. The light has come into the world 
And we don't want to be people who loved the darkness because our deeds were evil. We want people who live our truth. We come into the light and live the truth of God out plainly for all to see that everything that we do is done in the sight of God. Why would it be that Jesus is confronting Nicodemus in this way? I think sometimes when we're reading these stories and they happened a long time ago and we kind of think of them as being solely recorded for our benefit, we forget that these are real people and these things happen to real real people and, and that this all happened like Jesus face-to-face talking to a person, Nicodemus, that we really believe he cared deeply about. And Jesus wasn't just confronting Nicodemus so that we could know how much the religious leaders missed it. But he's confronting Nicodemus because he wants Nicodemus. He wants his mind to be enlightened. He wants his heart to be open. And he wants Nicodemus to repent. When God is offering us a chance to change and to grow, we can be discouraged and turned off by the moment of correction. Or we can take great comfort in the fact that we have an invitation. He's not done with us yet. He hasn't just written us off. He's still working in our lives. He's still helping us. He's, you know, he's, still, he's still giving us opportunities to turn to him. I really think that God is not done with Nicodemus here. And I think it's important that we, we realize that, that this is a story not just about um, what God is doing and how he's trying to lay out the argument of who the Messiah is supposed to be. But this is a story about God reaching out to a person. Um, One of the things that's really cool about this story is, you know, we left Nicodemus in verse 15, and we might think that he never shows up again, but we're going to take some time in our small groups to see where he pops up again in the Gospel of John. And and I really, this is one of those things that I I feel like this this is a powerful moment of revelation, and the speaker in me wants to deliver this moment expertly and have you all be like, wow, he's so intelligent. This is amazing. Um, but I just really don't think that's who I'm supposed to be. I think that I think God's working on that part of me. And so I had this idea this week that I really wanted to give you an opportunity to read the scriptures and, and really discover for yourselves what, what God was doing with Nicodemus and, and whether this story ends on a hopeful note or... A discouraging note. I know for me, the story of Nicodemus ends on a discouraging note. And any of you who have maybe watched the Chosen series, there's a heart-wrenching scene of Nicodemus, Nicodemus's story ending on a discouraging note. And yet, uh, Scripture tells a little bit of a different story. So uh, there should be a QR code going up on the screen. And I want you to get yourselves into groups of four or five people, maybe kind of look around uh, yes, you might have to have conversations with people that you don't know very well. And yes, that's a, a beautiful opportunity that we have to grow in our relationships with each other. So uh, circle your wagons up a little bit and let's talk about these discussion questions. And hopefully the Lord will continue to teach, teach us and we can grow and come back to the Lord's table in, a, in about 10 minutes.